All right, this is going to be weird, and we'll see if this works at all. But thanks for at least trying it with me. I'm here with a couple of friends at a uh, Korean barbecue restaurant here in Ho Chi Minh City. We're all kind of working with bags at the moment. And, um, you know, I wasn't sure we we're going to do this. I don't know how noisy the environment is. It's a kind of a test, right? Thanks for being with us today. I got Dave. Dave, Dave, what's your last name? Kim. Kim. I could have guessed. <laughs> I mean, you know. Yeah, was, yeah, of course. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dave Kim is originally from Korea. He has a, a, a background in rock climbing, amongst other things. And he, you work at the same, at the same bag factory that, that worked on our bag. And you're actually, actually, we got introduced to you through Mark. Mark is a designer um, and a, uh, well, yeah, an a designer and a brand owner. He's, a, he's done freelance design for other companies. And then you've started your own company called Post Carry with a product, with products initially focused on bicycle. Uh, traveling with your bike and also uh, carrying things on your bike. So traveling with and on your bike. Thank you all for being here. Uh, we've had a lively dinner, and uh, we talked a lot about a little bit about bag production and, and the outdoor industry, a little bit about depression and, and mental health, and a little bit about fatherhood. Um, I don't know if we can bring any of those topics back up in this kind of post-dinner session or not. Maybe a few more shots of this soju. We've, we've been drinking sochu with our Korean barbecue. Cheers. I kind of enjoy it more now than, than during the dinner. I told you, <laughs> the very beginning, it tastes bitter, but now it's, it, feels, it makes you feel better, right? I feel good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a soft kind of uh, feeling instead of like all of a sudden drunk, you know? Okay, well, we're all kind of here by happenstance. Somehow, all of us ended up in Ho Chi Minh City, Saigon. Somehow all of us are working on bags. What brought each of you to Vietnam? Like, how long have you been here? And what got you involved with bags? As an industrial designer for about um, six years now, uh, I've worked in product development. But I've always designed bags on the side for fun. And um, my brand, which is called Post Carry, I, has actually been around for about five years and I had been designing bags and backpacks for myself and for friends. Um, over a hundred bags, actually, by now. What? Yeah. A hundred bags? <laughs> over. A lot. I sewn all by myself and given to my friends just for free, just for fun. But um, the only thing that I felt like releasing that felt valuable was the bike case, which I'm selling now. Because it had a very speci special need, very specific function. And uh, I mean, that's the story of the brand. But like how I ended up in Ho Chi Minh, um, like many things, like, like everything came together in one trip in 2014. Uh, my first time in Vietnam, I came here for a holiday for uh, two weeks, just traveling around. And 
the moment I stepped foot in Ho Chi Minh, I mean, sorry, Vietnam, I was in Hanoi that first trip. And I loved the place. Like, something about the culture, the food, the people, the, the flow of life, I loved. And, um, like, for the next two or three years, I tried to find a way to move here because I loved it that much. And so that way was my brand. Um, starting my own company and then Vietnam being a good place to manufacture uh, bags and, you know, anything soft goods related. Uh, like it, everything just tied together. Like, oh, I love this place. Like I have this idea of the product and why don't I quit everything back in California and then move here? And so I did. And then, you know, partnering with... Um, uh, companies like Dave's, the factory, and then all the network that I've built up here and producing the product and eventually shipping in the U.S. Like that's been like where I've, how, how I've gone to stay here and keep selling and keep producing and what it, and enjoying life here. So yeah, it, it came out of just wanting to live here that was like the pure passion but then like i found my way after i moved here so dave what what brought you to vietnam um of course job <laughs> company asked me to come here and uh it's now um 13 years now i met i met a family here at the at the very beginning when i came here first uh, it was uh, 2002 and uh yeah, at the time I loved. Uh, yeah, this is new. The co Korean noodle. He made a special. Special sauce. Yes, for us. Yeah, kimchi is good. For us. Yeah. Yeah, this is really good. Yeah, it makes your stomach feel comfortable. And uh, yeah, coffee is good. Was good and these days coffee is not very good actually. I don't know. You're gonna find before on the street, just half dollar you can get very good coffee. But then now, and then everybody's smiling at a very nice at the very beginning, 15 years ago. Coffee, coffee is good. Coffee, coffee was good, but I don't know. It's changed. But you know. Um... A few years ago, I met a guy working in the coffee industry, and he was, the conversation went something like this. He was like, on the street in Saigon, you can get a coffee for 10,000 dong. Yeah, yeah, half dollar. But yeah, half dollar. 50 cents, yeah, half yeah. a dollar, yeah, right? Yeah. And he's like, There's, this is how much the beans cost us. How can anyone afford to send it to sell it for 50 cents? So... He, he, the, the implication there was that uh, that's corn, not coffee. So maybe that's what you've, maybe what you've noticed in terms of street coffee over the years. Yeah. The degradation of quality has been actually that it's become less and less coffee and more and more corn. Mm, something like that, yeah. But what does the coffee have to do with the soup? What? His, I think that's his uh, story of coming, like part of the Reason why oh wait! Oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then I loved, I loved coffee, fifteen years ago. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and then I like smile and 
Okay, so people were very friendly, and you yeah, liked yeah. the the coffee. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fifteen uh, years ago, were you working for factories then? Yeah, 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 yeah. Fifteen years ago, when I came here, I worked in the factory, bag factory, and still I work in the bag factory, and uh, yeah. But the coffee that I had on the street is different now. I cannot, I cannot drink the coffee. I cannot taste the same as fifteen years ago. That's just uh, like a overall summary of the development of Vietnam from 15 years ago. Yeah, some things like are different think, yeah. back then yeah. than it is now. Yeah. Like, and then people was more friendly before, more smiling, but now it's more like different. Life's more hectic here now. Yeah. Right. There's more traffic. Yeah, of course. Before they didn't not much traffic, and then you know not much cars. More, right. Uh, motorbike. And, Even 15 years ago, there was bicycles. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, 20 years ago, there was many motorbikes in here, actually. It's like a flood, you know. It's full of the motorbike, the street. I mean. uh, but even, even bicyc pedal bicycles, not motorbikes. Mm, no, it's, it's Ho Chi Minh City, you know. Yeah? Yeah. 20 years ago, when I came here first, uh, 2002, there was motorbike. All motorbike, not bicycle. But there's clearly more now than 15 years ago. Um, be, right? There's more cars. More cars. Yeah, yeah. The motorbike so is still the same. They but take up a lot more space on the roads. So that's why the traffic jams. The road is the same. Uh, and I think then, motorbike is the same, but more and more on cars. So. But back then there were traffic jams or not, was not as bad? traffic jam, but not like this hell. Hmm. You guys took a car here tonight, right? From his office, only five minutes away, we took a car. But I came here on motorbike from District 1, which was like a 25-minute drive, motor, uh, motorbike drive, yeah. Hey, Dave, do you normally take a car around town, or do you normally take a motorbike around town? Uh, mostly the for my personal things, I ride a motorbike, my own motorbike, with my wife, and go to the... Mm -hmm. Council and Korean Council, and then yeah, downtown. And but when I have customer to meet in downtown and take taxi, of course, grab. <laughs> so it's, yeah, because I need to drink. <laughs> I took a car here tonight, a grab car here tonight, in preparation of sharing one back with you later. Because I thought I thought alcohol might be involved, but also I didn't want to deal with the stress of driving through the heat and the traffic between. Uh, Bintan in here during rush hour. There's one thing about taking a motorbike through, uh, like being driven through the Ho Chi Minh on a motorbike, and there's another thing about sitting in a taxi in AC and just being able to like turn off your brain, sleep if you have to. Dave, what, try this what, what is this called? This what is, is really it? good. It tastes really good. It's just Korean noodle, you know. It's called Korean noodle? Korean, um, <laughs> But yeah, it's, it's called Zanjigusu and with uh, some beef, roast beef. You get some ASMR uh, sounds here of me slurping noodles. It doesn't matter, actually. It doesn't matter. You sound, I mean, sound very big, like a, you know, four, it's okay. okay. Let's, let's, see. let's see how this is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem at all. Hmm. Tastes very Korean. <laughs> This is what you like. 
Dave, how is the uh, quality of the Korean barbecue in Vietnam versus in the rest of the world? It's still okay, but I can taste the best one in Korea, of course, not here. Here, the best one, I can say, is like uh, 50% of the, 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 the best quality in Korea. But still, it's okay. Still, it's okay. And then this restaurant is quite nice. Can you share anything about where you're working? Um, Light to, to Summit, LTS. My boss is watching it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you don't have to say anything that would get you in trouble at work. <laughs> My job is uh, making the design reality real bad. Just uh, somebody create very nice design, and then we follow that, and then that is our mission, to follow exactly the idea of the designer. And of course, adding that, plus that, we make nice products, good quality. That's our mission. And that's how we make money. But sometimes it's not easy, you know. <laughs> you know because of time, you design, and then from that drawing, uh, making the bags, Exactly same what designer intended. It's not easy, you know. So sometimes, like your bags first, you know, your idea. I I don't think we created the exactly same as your idea. The bag was too too difficult. But my first idea was okay. I think if we made the bags like my idea at the very beginning, then it was much easier, and then what would be much cheaper. Our bag ended up being kind of hard to make. Yeah, yeah. It was not easy, actually. One of the biggest roles that the factory played was um, in my in the development of my bag was the sample team I work with, uh, Dave's sample team. They're just a bunch of skilled developers for bags and soft goods, and just um, I'm a soft goods designer. I can sew, I can make my own bags and prototypes, but their team is hundred times better than my skills will ever be. And so I will send them a sample and then they'll come back and suggest something that's way better than what I ever thought of. So it's kind of this back and forth with his team and, and me or my designers if I, if I work with some designers and to eventually come up with the final sample and then that will become the final product which we sell, so. Um, actually, you're you're a good designer, and also you're a good sewer, <laughs> not good sewer. Anyway, you're a good you know creator. Anyway, you can make some prototype of bags. That that is really actually really good, because I I was in this business twenty years, but still I don't know how to sew. But he's just a you know just one year or two years, but he knows how to make a pattern and how to make the. The bags already, it's just prototype, but still. Um, I had been making bags for about five or six years before I came here. So, I mean, home, like yeah. they were basic, but um, to me, the making a prototype is just a way of communicating to the factory. So when you develop a product, like if you're developing a piece of, uh, like an electronic device, the designer will hand over CAD drawings, which is just a file on the computer. Um, in our industry, it's either like a tech pack drawing, which is like 
2D drawings on Adobe Illustrator. Or from in my, in my situation, I'm able to provide a 3D sample for the factory, um, which is what you did too. Yeah. Uh, Dave, when, when, a, when typical customers come to you, uh, do they just show up with a tech pack or do they show up with physical samples at the beginning? Mostly, the, um, I mean, the typical customer, that they have the uh, tech pad, of course, because they don't have the sample room. They create the tech pad, the idea drawing, and then put some call out, material call out, something like that. And then we start off from the drawing. So it takes time to get close to the idea of the designer. So we need to make the several prototype, like a, sometimes three times prototype. Already uh, take three, uh, four or five months, you know. So that's why even in you know big company like the North Face, you think they make a lot of sample and then uh, get close to the bag, uh, the perfection of the bag. No, they only make two times or three times the prototype. They send the tech pack drawing and then we uh, study the tech pack and then make first prototype, uh, prototype sample and send to customer. It already like one month and a half, you know? And then they also need time to study and then give comments, oh, do you make the, uh, the, the shape more round or something, change the material or something. And then we make second prototype. And then it takes also one month or something, one month and a half maybe. And then we make a final sample, you know? So three prototype, and then they make a salesman sample so total, it's like a one season need a six months of development when we start off from the design, drawing, you know, tech pad. So it's actually not easy, wrong way. For me, like this bag is simple. Actually, it's not a performance bag. So just drawing and then nothing, just $10. But the no space, like his bag, the post carry bag is like a $90 or something. So there's a lot of the, you know, so it's not easy to develop. Yeah, but some customers, sometimes they have the sample room, a few people, so key item, they make sample and send sample, like prototype, like what he, he's doing. Actually, he's always making prototype and send to, to me, and it's easy to understand the drawing. If you have the tech pack, sometimes you don't understand. The designer, designer try to put every idea in there, but it's... Always, it's not easy. Then, if you want want to make somebody understand, then the tech bag one tech bag will be like thirty pages, well forty pages, and it takes much longer time to understand and make sample. Sometimes just simple and a talk or just a prototype and send some. That that is much efficient. But you know, if the customer in America cannot have the sample, if you have sample room like Paramaker and then two or three workers, it costs a lot. And you need those space, and then yeah. So that's why uh, a lot of the brand rely on the factory, the development sample room, and something like that. When it comes to creating design documentation to specify how to make something, always I leave some detail out because for me it was obvious. Right? It didn't even occur to me to document that because, well, of course it should be done in this way. And then it turns out that 
you know, my mind doesn't work the same as other people's minds. And what's obvious to me isn't obvious to someone else. I know what you're getting at. Yeah. Like, basically, if you don't communicate something, then if you leave it to the worker or the sample maker, they're going to try to figure it out themselves, which is completely different than what you thought of because you thought it was obvious, but it's actually not. And sometimes you can end up with, like I've had times where sample makers created something and they made something different than what I intended and I was pleasantly surprised. I was like, oh, that's a great uh, solution to that problem. I wouldn't have thought of that. And of course, other times when you're disappointed. Right. I sometimes, you know, you know, um, you you too is in, in, in Ho Chi Minh City. I think uh, last time I told Mark that he doesn't need to spend a lot of time to make the tech bag. Just uh, make a simple one and then come to me and then explain by Berber, you know. You just explain. It's, it's, it's much easier. And But he wants to, I know he's the transport case is his core item and then he wants to uh, build up, make one totally good tech bag. But if you uh, create something new design in the future and just, uh, and then I don't think you make very, very nice um, tech bag if it's just a, a fashion design or something. Of course, his product is core, like a performance uh, gear bag, and then it never changed. I think it will not change for the next five years, maybe just small change or something, but still it will be the same. So uh, making one nice tech bag is maybe important. But... This kind of fashion bag, it doesn't need to. Because next year, next year or next season, nobody wants to, to still buy this one. Yeah. You need to create something new. Then this is gone. And For me, as the designer, uh, uh, from a very designer mindset, being able to control every little detail, it's important for me to like call out the radius of every corner or like the material or like the angle or whatever that little detail is because... We are very specific in particular about what we want. And we're very sensitive to like proportion and like the way things look. And so to communicate it is important rather than to not communicate. But I see your point in letting the maker decide and try to figure it out because there's some value in like like the the pleasant surprise when like you see you find they find the better way yeah. to do it sometimes yeah and that works there's times there's definitely times where things have to be this way you know like in my mind the mental model of the shape of the thing or the way it works it has to follow certain principles it has to work in a certain way and other times where it doesn't matter other times where it's like it just needs to be able to open whatever, you know, let's try some various ways of opening it and let's see which one works best. I don't, I guess with some designs, there's certain times where like almost any solution will do as long as it solves the problem. And other times where like for aesthetic reasons or maybe for very specific technical reasons, it has to be this way. And I think as, um, startup founders and designers <laughs> that's the challenge like we have to let go of uh, our personal and like um 
needs to make everything perfect. Uh, like it doesn't have to be perfect, and that's like the challenge that I deal with all the time. I don't know how we define perfect, but if in your case it didn't, if your bicycle bag did not fit a bicycle, that would be an imperfection that would be un, unexcusable, right? My product, a very specific focus on function than aesthetics. Um, it had to do more about getting the dimensions right. And so that's why I was like hyper-focused on the tech pack and getting all the details, communicated measurements. So it depends on the product. I want to get into some favorites, some like number one good things and number one bad things. Uh, we'll start off with number one good things and bad things in bag production, and then we'll, we'll move on to maybe number one good things and number one bad things about living in Vietnam. We'll see, what, we'll see where that goes. Okay, of course, you know, the, uh, the best thing is that, okay, you develop this one, and you develop this one, and then it's very nice, nice bag. And then you want to see it overnight. You think, ah, this design is nice, very nice, material is nice, and you want to see it. And the next day, the sample is good, then it's, I feel it was good. And when I see the very nice design, and then it's into the bags, then I feel very happy. And then when that bag is orderly, like 100,000 pieces, it's the best one. Okay. Yeah. You two designer design very nice bag. Okay. Well, thank you. Mark, uh, if you were going to give advice to somebody out there who was interested in having a product eventually mass produced, like what's the number one thing they got to get on top of? Um, so it, it kind of relates to my story because I had designed a lot of bags and backpacks before, but the only one that I felt like producing was the one that was unique and no one did ever before. So the advice I would give to someone that wanted to launch a product is if it solves a true need that hasn't really been addressed yet, and that need doesn't have to be functional. Maybe it's like a certain aesthetic that hasn't been like addressed yet or like targeting a niche. I'm, I'm really high about focusing on one specific niche, one specific product, market, customer market, and then just being excellent at what you're doing. Because if you try to launch into something with a million competitors, then it would be really hard to stand out. I was given basically that advice from my design mentor many years ago, uh, David Serlin. He had gone to uh, MIT Business School and, and one of the things they learned was like, you can own a niche or you can, uh... actually even there, there related to this, there was uh, this kind of famous game designer named Dan C or Dan Cook or Dank. And he wrote an article once that Serlin and I both read that talked about, there's kind of two paths to success that a lot of people can take. One is you can own a niche or you can become a genre king. So, you know, one way is you forge a path in a direction that people haven't explored before. And now you're the only game on the block. In that case, literally games. But we can extend that to bags or fashion. 
or any kind of product design. So you're doing something that other people aren't doing. So you don't really have com competitors. That's one valid path to success. And another valid path to success is you're not reinventing the wheel. You're doing something that people have already done, but you're doing it better than anyone else has ever done it. You know, you just, your quality is head and shoulders above what everyone else is doing. And these are two paths, but the genre king path, the one, the one where you do what people have already done, but you do it at a much higher level, takes way more money. It takes way more money to do that. So if North Face was to come in and say, we want to make a uh, bicycle bag or we want to make a switch bag, how are we going to compete against them? If they, if they really set their, if they set their sights on our niche with their resources, how do we compete, you know? Um, at that point, um, you should be ready to react, which is um, either come up with an even better product that, because you, you should be, I mean, at that point, you should have predicted that and... <laughs> like ideally and then you should be already thinking of the next product because if they're trying to catch up with you then you're already ahead of because you're developing something new so um that's unfortunately like what you have to deal with like same with copycats uh if some brand were to release a product that was like they, they saw yours and they wanted to come up with something different. I mean, similar. And then like you should, in, in my view, like you should expect that, that if you have a good product, someone's going to copy you. So why not think of what's next? Why not think of what's better? Have you had any copycat products yet? Um, kind of, yes. Um, and I'm, I've already been thinking about the next bike case or the next bike products. So when it does, like no one's directly copied me, but, or my design, but I'm, I've been working on the next one. So I'm not too worried about it. When you say next one, do you mean the next version of the transfer case? Or do you mean your other bike related products that you've been developing? Both. I'm always thinking about new products. Um, just naturally as a designer, you, you're always coming up with new ideas. So, I mean, my core product is the bike case, but, you know, there's other things that I'm working on. Building, uh, after building a strong brand name in the world, I mean, the audience from the audience, then you can create a simple backpack or the lifestyle uh, computer backpack or something, you know. Dave, Dave, I want to get back to you in it, uh, now because uh, I've been introducing you so far as somebody on the factory side of, of design and development and production. But you've recently started working on your own brand. Uh, how's, what's your approach? What's your approach? What are you, what are you trying to accomplish with that? Good question. <laughs> the first thing that I... Is I I told you uh, earlier and that I want to make very strong brand that can survive over ten years, twenty years, and thirty years. Making money is second things. 
if I see somebody wearing my backpack at airport on the street at school on wherever I think that will be good and that's the first things making money is second thing of course making money is also important so I don't I really don't care I'm not greedy and then I just uh, I just want 10 million dollar only so I'm not greedy actually <laughs> <laughs> you're not greedy you just want a 10 million dollar payout in no, the end just 1 million dollar at least I need 1 million dollar because in 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 Korea, it's the house is very expensive, so I need one million dollar. But anyway, that is creating something, something like this backpack is. Uh, I was in this business, and then I want to create something, something new. Mine belongs to me, and then I want to see somebody else to wear, and then. Say like you like you said you just said the thirty minutes ago that people say ah thank you Tom ah this bag is really nice I love it then it makes you feel better at least thirty minutes right you said thirty minutes will be an hour earlier when we were talking about mental health and depression I was saying that every so often maybe about once a week I get a a message from a customer that's very happy with their bag and it it definitely improves my mood and and motivates me it, it, I generally appreciate it because sometimes you're not sure you're going down the right path you're not sure if your effort is appreciated or being recognized and um, I don't know for me like the to give the, the chance of giving up is there every day every single day I could say fuck it I'm ready to give up I'm ready to start looking for a job again and and just collect a salary or um, it's hard to get going. It's hard to keep going, I should say. And every so often I get some positive feedback from customers and it definitely helps motivate me to keep going. Um, yeah, but, uh, but sometimes that motivation lasts 30 minutes. Sometimes it's a day, you know. Um, yeah, so think about that, that you have the, that kind of feedback a day, a hundred uh, feedback, or you see the... A lot of people on the street wearing your bags, using your bags. I don't think, you know, Samsung, the owner of Samsung, he's happy because he can make a lot of money. But also, I think he feels happy, happy when he sees a lot of people using his phone. phone. Yeah, that, so. that relates to um, this idea we talked about earlier about, like, the feeling that you get after seeing an impact that uh, that you created with, if it's one person or a million people, um, for Thomas and I as designers, we are lucky that we get to see the result of like our product in the world. Like, like if we get a feedback, uh, you know, email from someone saying how it made them totally happy. This is one of the greatest feelings that you can have like emotionally as a human because like you're creating something you're like a contribution to the world and so dave with your brand um like you you've designed these bags and what you said that you want to achieve is like to see someone at the airport using the bags 10 years from now is exactly as a designer the feeling that we want to to get to it's not 
I mean, like getting sales, getting like the money from it is kind of secondary, but to feel like someone is using it and that you contributed to someone's life in some way, however small it is, is greater than, you know, whatever money you get. Money is also important. I need one billion dollars. Of course. Ten million. Two million, two million dollars million. is better, actually. Yeah, Korea, the, the apartment is one million dollars already, and then I need a car and furniture, right? Are you in Vietnam for life, or do you think you're going to end up back in Korea? To me, I'm more like going back to Korea because there's a lot of uh, beauty from mountain. I'm mountain guy, actually, you know. I, I, I was a climber, and I spent a lot of time in the mountain when I was in the 20s. And I love the mountain, the snow, and the summer, and the water, and everything. So I, but here I cannot find that one. Maybe, yeah, somewhere in there, in, in the middle of the bedroom, you can find that mountain, good mountain. But my wife is Vietnamese, and uh, so I don't know. Maybe I can stay countryside of the bedroom in the middle of the. There's a lot of mountains here, and like the world's biggest cave. Yeah, yeah, the world's biggest cave was discovered here about five years ago or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're right. So, and the mountain where? You, you, you traveled the good mountain in Vietnam? Uh, not in any, any significant way. No, I've not gone <laughs> to the, I've not gone, was it Sondung? Is it Sondung cave? Somewhere in central Vietnam, yeah. Yeah, I actually, I, 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 I did the same question to, to him before last year, and then he, he doesn't know, he, but for now, he liked the, he liked the Vietnam. And... I think Vietnam is a country that probably has a lot of rocks for rock climbing, for instance, but none of it's developed. So there's uh, Kat Ba Islands in the north where they have free, uh, a lot of sport climbing and free water. Uh, what do you call it? Free, the kind of free slowing what you do on the water, where like if you fall, you just fall into the water. That's kind of developed in one kind of small group of islands in the north of Vietnam. Uh, there are some areas here in the south where some of my friends were climbing, and like every time you go there, you have to cut away the vines and the bushes that are growing up. There's not uh, enough people trying to do sport climbing outdoors here to like have that. I'm not talking about the climbing. I'm, I'm too old to do climbing. I'm rock climbing, and then I'm in the extreme sports. Just, just, just seeing the snow on the mountain, and then just the, the trees, and I like that one. Well, know. I think in terms of snow, you're going to be hard-pressed. No, yeah. no, no matter how high the mountain in Vietnam, you're not going to find snow. Yeah, no. But still, you know, the Vietnam is a very attractive country. This is, uh, people say, I mean, the, my friend, around my me said that Vietnam is like a, the woman's country. You know, there's in, in the Oriental culture, there's plus and minus, you know? Uh. The plus. Man is plus, and woman is minus. And okay, so when you say minus, you mean, uh, just for our viewers out there, you female mean... Female country. Yin, dark, the dark part of the Tai Chi, yin-yang symbol. Yeah, 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 yeah. Some, yeah, something like that. And then, because this country has a lot of water, on the ground, and uh, you know, you see, if you see the, if you look into the people, the Vietnamese people, Vietnam girl is very strong. You know, when they fight with the man, they are very strong. 
you know? And then, you know... <laughs> Why are you laughing, agree, Mark? You agree, right? <laughs> no? I'm, I've heard similar things, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. People, a lot of people a say like that. Stronger uh, role here in, in compared to other Asian cultures. Yeah, this is more like a mother country, not a father country. A lot of people... I mean, the man died from the world, and then uh, the mother need to take care of the family, and then you know, kids, something like that. So, you know, so this is like girl country, you know, that attract people. So that's why a lot of people foreigners come here, and then they go back, and then they come again, <laughs> then stay here, living in the Vietnam. The best thing, nobody care. I mean, the, nobody cared about me. So if I, uh, my clothes is bad, my head is old-fashioned, and nobody care here. But if I, I'm in Korea, I need to compare to another people because a lot of people. But here I'm stranger, a foreigner. Even though I wear very cheap slipper, it's not slip. Very cheap, but still, yeah. you know, I don't the, care. The like level this. of but status in, yeah, is in, not um, looked at as like a sign. Like, I, I, I don't know about that. I think if you were Vietnamese, no, as a foreigner, as a foreigner, like we get around like no one cares. We it's very easy to live here as a foreigner, but as a Vietnamese, yes, there's a certain like standard, uh, like the brands that you. Follow or like support or. Mark, were your parents first generation immigrants to the United States from the Philippines? Yeah, they were immigrants from the Philippines, and I'm the first generation American. Um, so I had like kind of the Asian standards that we normally hear about. I think what I was going going for with that is. Hmm. So, as an expat living in Vietnam, and I would say, I would say this applies to like as an American living in Japan, this also applies. I would guess if I was an American living in Korea, it would also apply. There are certain cultural pressure. If I was a Vietnamese living in my neighborhood in Vietnam, and my neighbors are gossiping about me, it's gonna be personal. I'm gonna it's gonna affect me psychologically. What is your best thing living in the bedroom and the worst thing? When I first came here on vacation, man, I don't even know how long ago that was. Uh, nine, 1990, uh, sorry, uh, 2007, I think, was the first time I came here on vacation. I went to, at the time, a very quaint but awesome cafe, uh, Na Hong and Gong. Uh, delicious house of food or something. It's on. It used to be on uh, Namkikoingya Street in District One. Then they moved to Pasture Street, and then a different company with almost the same name opened up in their old location. And at the time, it was a very it was a only ground level. There was not multiple stories. Now it's like a two story building. It's huge, but it was great. Uh. They had smoothies for something like a dollar. And I was living in San Francisco where if you went to Jamba Juice and got a smoothie, it's like $5. 
And I was just like, hey, this place is awesome. There's a lot of greenery. The colonial architecture is awesome. Fruit smoothies for a, a dollar or, or 50 cents or 20 cents is an amazing deal. I mean, it's, I don't even remember because I think it was like 10,000 dong then. And the exchange rate was way different than it is now. Uh, and I, was, I, I just had this thought, like, that would be an interesting place to try living. Um, so initially, that was it. Initially, the attraction was you can have a pretty high quality of life for a cost of living that's significantly cheaper than Seoul, I suppose, and definitely San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, I totally understand what you feel. Yeah. What, what you felt, and then that same what I felt actually at the very beginning. And I, I think most of the visitors, the very beginning, felt the same things. I think. Yeah, and then after that, so what is? Yeah, that, that's it. That's the best thing. That was basically it. I mean, I think Vietnam's a place that, as a tourist, you're either gonna fall in love with or you're gonna. Think like that was interesting, but I never need to go there again. I kind of want to do a video about like what to look out for when you first come to Vietnam because, geez, my friend Tomo wrote some article on his blog many years ago that was like basically gave the stat that said Vietnam is one of those countries that a lot of people don't make a second trip to because they get scammed at the airport with a taxi. Like their very first experience coming to Vietnam is you getting charged like yeah. 10, 10 times. Yeah. Taxi is bad, really bad. Yeah. You know, and it, it, it sets the bad tone for the rest of your trip. Um, somehow or another, I didn't fall prey to that. Maybe I, I read the right guidebook and I knew to avoid that. And so my first two visits to Vietnam were really positive. And I thought, this is a, a place where things are growing, where it would be exciting to be a part of that growth. And, I mean, I love coffee, and coffee is part of the Vietnamese culture, so that didn't hurt. But it, uh, To go on what you said, it's, it also has to do with your personality type. Like, uh, for people that need order and need control and, um, like, rules to, like, structure in their day-to-day -day lives, this is not the place to go. <laughs> because... Uh, you have to be comfortable with like not, uh, like not having like stop signs or like being able to cross the walk the, the the street with like weaving through like motorbikes without like a sign like telling them to stop. Like um, for someone like me and you and Dave, like I think we're okay with the idea that like nothing is perfect. And we're, we're able to work with the flow that is naturally here. The flow of life, the flow of traffic, the, um, the way people work here. It, it's not as structured as, you know, Western culture, but you learn to adapt to it. So how long, how long you live here now? Uh, I've been here a year and a half. A year and a half. Over. You? Yeah. I was here for, I don't know. I start, I, I, my comprehension of dates is starting to fade, but I think like seven and a half years I was here. 
Most then, of the stay here. And yeah, mostly seven. here. And then for the last six months, I've mostly been in Japan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I know, yeah. Yeah. So uh, we can say that you spend, you stay here from seven years ago. And then, so what is the best, the, the worst things you after living in Ho Chi Minh seven years? If I had to pick one thing, mm -hmm. the worst part. You said of, one thing, yeah. Yeah, if I had to pick the one thing. Don't the, pick two things. <laughs> somebody see it, you know, Ho Chi Minh City. There's a lot of great parts about Vietnam. <laughs> and something that was probably very cute at the beginning and at this point uh, is tired is people driving the wrong way. People driving the wrong way on the street. If I have to. That, that was a cute thing at the very beginning? <laughs> something something was wow, special. Yeah. <laughs> wow, somebody is driving it, the reverse. <laughs> because we come from America, like yeah, you know, people yeah, actually yeah. drive on the in the lane yeah. usually. Yeah, yeah, and of course. Like, so when you see someone like <laughs> yeah. totally normal driving through, it's just like <laughs> the the chaos of the the chaos of the traffic is one thing. The, the you could look at the chaos of the traffic. And say, this is invigorating. This is interesting. It's exciting. But when you drive it, you know. I mean, at some point, I don't know. It, it really is like the biggest sticking point for me for Vietnam is driving, driving a motorbike. And I think part of it is because your life is always at risk. Yes. I mean, you're about to die all the time. And it gets old. That gets old. Uh, it's, it's because it's, yeah I understand and then I also drive motorbike myself and then yeah it's really I'm sorry Ultimate Citizen and it's really crazy things Some sometimes they uh, uh, drive or reverse and then sometimes just and then yeah I understand it's very stressed the only thing is that you don't drive that's the solution Right, yeah. So to, we have so, Grab. You know? right, right, right. So today I took uh, the Grab car because I wanted to be in a good mood when I met you guys. Yeah. And you just you uh, go to some very closed place, then you of course you can take your motorbike. But if you go to the like uh, twenty minutes or thirty minutes or more than thirty minutes, you better take Grab. Better than. But not everybody can afford that. Not not everyone can afford to take a car everywhere. No, I mean that even the Grab motorbike is still okay. You just uh, think about your product. I would much rather be the driver of my motorbike than the passenger on someone else's motorbike. It, I don't feel comfortable at all being the passenger on someone else's motorbike. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying about the mm, wrong way drivers and the chaos on the streets. Uh, as a cyclist, though, like and riding through the streets of San Francisco, I I was totally used to that uh, growing up, and so to me, riding a motorbike through Saigon is no different than dealing with train tracks and taxis and cars, and so driving to me is not an issue as much. It's is because I'm used to it. I, it's, I'm just, kinda, it's just the one year and a half. He lived in several years and a half. I know, you know? I know. But like, After uh, you live in Ho Chi Minh City three years and then... My, let, let's talk again. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. I drove a scooter and a bicycle for years in San Francisco. Uh, and 
Okay. To be fair, when I first moved to Vietnam, I took the bus for the first eight months. Bus. So I was walking or taking the bus and occasionally a taxi for the first eight months. And when I finally saved up enough money to buy a, a scooter, I finally felt like a citizen of Saigon. You know, because like, hey, this is how everybody's getting around. And it was very, at that point, I mean, it was scary for about two weeks, I would say, especially traffic circles. I didn't know how to navigate them, you know. I mean, I understood theoretically how you would navigate a traffic circle, but in terms of like, okay, I'm getting to that intersection, how am I actually going to... People in Vietnam don't go in a traffic circle the way that people in America or Europe would go in a traffic circle. But um, there's a flow to it, though. Like, you don't just bomb through the roundabout, like, at full speed. Like, you, everyone kind of gently goes into it. I, no, that's the theory. That's the theory. Really, really. Like, even, like, the craziest kid out there is actually watching out for where he's going. Um, I mean, maybe focus on himself, but like every other driver out there is looking out for that kid. There is the cosmos and chaos. Uh, the best advice I ever got, or I don't know if I got this from myself or if I read it somewhere. At this point, I don't remember anymore. But the best advice I ever got was forget about right of way, right? As a foreign driver in Vietnam, you have a strong, initially, you have an idea in your head about right of way. So I'm in this lane, or this light says this, so I have the right of way, and other people should yield to me. And the sooner you abandon that, the safer you'll be. Uh, you just have to expect, honestly, like someone's going to come uh, crossing your path in an intersection. Like, to me, that's like kind of a general mindset. Like, I know someone's going to be driving in front of me as I cross this intersection. Like, if I keep that in mind, I'm going to slow at every intersection and look for it. And most of the time, uh, someone does come through, but I'm already prepared for it. You know, and actually, there's, there was like, there's some studies done where they have lights at, intersect, at like dangerous intersections in, let's say, the UK. I think the, the study I saw was in the UK. And they did things where they say, okay, we're going to get rid of the lights. We're going to get rid of all signs. We're going to get rid of all lights. So nobody has the right of way. Safety improved in those situations. Because when you enter into an intersection where you don't know what's... When nobody knows what's going to happen, everybody looks around. Everybody tries to feel out the situation and see what other people are doing. When you see your green light, you're going. You're going when you have your green light even if it's not the safest thing to do. It's certainly, it's certainly, if you have the green light here, you, 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 get, you have to look for sure. But what I'm trying to say is, even in foreign countries, when you have the green light, you might be better off having a little bit of hesitation and double-checking because I had an accident once in Chicago where I was sure I had the green light, but actually I saw, I was looking at the light at the intersection in the next intersection. My intersection, the lights were actually on the side and they were red. I didn't see them. I was looking at the lights above the road that were hanging in it. And I T-boned somebody. Um, I was at fault in that case. And um, it's because I made an assumption. I was like, oh, I assume 
the light screen. I assume it's, face, it's safe to go at normal speed through here, as opposed to having hesitation. And as much as I dislike the constant stress of driving in Vietnam or the traffic situations in Vietnam, the one good point is that if you've learned your lesson, it's always be vigilant, always be aware, have 180 or even 360 degree vision if, it's, if, if possible, you know? At the very beginning of the, my riding, I thought, okay, I, can, I need to look around here and here and here and here. And then even though there's green light, I need to, I need to move. I, I must be careful. Somebody is crazy and then just, so I need to be careful. But that wasn't enough because somebody hit at my back, you know? So I need to now look around everywhere, you know? So. Well, uh, the, the key is to, to be predictable. Like if you s stop abruptly, yes, someone's going to hit behind you from behind. So uh, let's say like a car or a vehicle comes up in front of me. I could stop like right away, but I will, I mean, I guess because I'm experienced, like I just will stop slowly, but still avoid them because I know that there's someone behind me. Is this on a motorbike or on a bicycle? Uh, both. Okay. I, I, my experience comes from like contending with drivers on bicycle in America and then thinking about it here in Vietnam. I've never ridden a bicycle in Vietnam. Uh, that's... Okay, I've never ridden. I've never ridden a bicycle on main streets in Saigon. I should say that. Is is there any difference between riding a bicycle and riding a motorbike? At, at the speeds that I usually go at, which is not that much slower than a motorbike, <laughs> uh, it it feels like I'm driving a motorbike, honestly. Um, and the the added benefit, though, is because I'm on a bicycle. I'm on a like tight lycra outfit it um i kind of stand out so people on motorbike they notice that i'm on a bicycle i'm different than 99 of the vehicles out there so i actually feel safer because they're all going around me and they all notice me um and they're not going that much faster than me whereas in america i if i'm on the side of the you know the road the bike lane and dr cars are driving two times or three time, times faster than me, like, they don't even notice me. So I actually feel a little bit safer riding a bicycle here. But you, these days, at the very beginning, you, you prefer riding bicycle, but I see these days you prefer oh, motorbike. Right? Oh, yeah, I have a motorbike now because, uh, yeah, convenience. No um, sweat, you know. No sweat. Ride a mo uh, bicycle <laughs> to the Beto from here to I, I rode eighty bicycle. kilometer. <laughs> yeah, no, because I I enjoyed it. I enjoy the the challenge of it. But in terms of day to day like errands, um, he, the, he was riding and then arrived at the factory <laughs> with this, some suit, right? And yeah, then, yeah. <laughs> then the with some helmet and then <laughs> sweating a lot and then want to see the factory. <laughs> <laughs> like something, you know. Did you ride a bike the f when you went to see it for the first time? No. Um, I did not ride a bicycle my first time there, but on the car drive there, I noticed that I could drive or ride a bicycle there. Uh, I don't know. I, 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 
as a endurance cyclist, I see the challenge and I, I want to take it. So, by car from Ho Chi Minh City to Mito is an hour and a half, an hour and forty minutes, something like that. How long does it take you by bicycle? Two hours, like twenty minutes. Dude, that's that's not that much. <laughs> How fast are you that, going? That on? means he, you know, he has very good. You know, it's all you know. Muster here. <laughs> you check it. Check it out. Check it out. I, shit, <laughs> there's, there's very dense mu- the quadriceps down here. <laughs> uh, drafting off uh, motorbikes too. So. Yeah, getting wind resistance. You know, color me impressed. I mean, every trip, every trip to your factory by car, even, and we we eventually started taking the bus. It's. It was tiring. Yeah, it was really hard. So props to you. <laughs> props to you by going there by motorbike. Uh, by going there by, sorry, bicycle. Bicycle, man. Dave, what, what, you're asking what would be next for me? I mean, that he loves the uh, Vietnam. Oh. And then, uh, yeah, he's going to move to move to here, right? I, I do love Vietnam. Uh, I've, I have moved here, and I see myself living here because it fits my lifestyle and personality and I'm able to like cope with all the imperfections here. Every year you check it out. How change you, you know? <laughs> and okay, anyway, yeah. I've yeah. I've only been here a year and a half and so I also don't have a family tie uh like connection here uh, to anywhere else in the world. So I'm pretty free to live wherever I want and this is the place I wanna be. So I mean that why question was you in the future you will still be here or you where where, where will be you are the last country oh, when you die I mean you know you're last I really loved living in Vietnam until the point that my ex brought our son to Japan and essentially the day after they left I was driving from district two to district one a drive I did every day. And that drive was different. That drive, I felt, what's the point of being here? I don't, I don't feel, I don't know, I, I feel meaningless to be here at that point. So at that point forward, my goal had become, how can I try to, how can, what can I do? Can I build a business? Because, okay, they moved to Japan. I don't want to be an English teacher in Japan. My background is design. I want to be a designer. In the past, I've, I've talked to Japanese companies, of which the, the founders were English, even, and they said, your Japanese isn't good enough to, live, to, to work at this company as a designer. If you were an artist or a programmer, maybe, but not as a designer. And it's like, okay, so now my goal is, can I build a company in Vietnam that would be so successful that it could pay for me to live in Japan? Uh, and in like kind of last September or or whatever the month before September is, I would I was in Japan and I was spending time with my son, and at at that point, kind of like this balance between the negativity of the traffic in Saigon and the positivity of getting to spend more time with my son started to shift in the balance, and I was like, I have to move to Japan as soon as our production of our switch bag is finished. 
So in November, I went to Japan with the idea that I'm going to be here for like a month and see if I can figure things out. Like, can I find a place to live and can I figure out how to live here? I should note that I really, ha I still haven't figured out any of those things out six months later. But uh, I've at least, I've learned that, and it, maybe it's because I've gotten older, but I appreciate the calmness versus the chaos. Like as I'm getting older, the calmness is, is having more allure to me. Uh, last summer, I went back to my hometown, Columbus, Ohio. And that's a place where I was, I mean, I, growing up in Ohio, the constant joke is how boring Ohio is. Like if only we lived in New York, if only we lived in California, where everything's happening. People say that Ohio is like, or places like Ohio, I mean, I don't know, probably Iowa or Kansas or Pennsylvania, Indiana, they might, they're probably very similar. They're great places to have a family, great places to live, not very interesting places to visit. And since then, I've been living in places that are interesting places to visit, but not, you know, what people would consider tourist destinations. Uh, Japan, Vietnam, San Francisco. Oh, that's an exciting place, right? And, um, but I have to say, my last visit to Columbus last summer, I was really impressed. The place has developed a lot. Like the downtown, a lot of, <laughs> this is going to get really, Dave, I don't know how much you'll understand this as a foreigner. I don't mean a foreigner to Vietnam, in this case, a foreigner to, to America, but America had this thing where it became very dependent on cars. And city centers, like the middle of cities, became places you don't want to live because everybody lived uh, 30 minutes away from the city center with, and they would get to their job by car. And so the suburbs became these desirable places to live. The same thing happened in my hometown. Downtown Columbus was not a nice place. Everybody lived in the suburbs. But gentrification's been happening for the last 10 years, I guess maybe longer even, where the downtown area has been revitalized and hipsters and the like have been moving to downtown and living in lofts and trying to have more of an urban living experience. And I found that my hometown's downtown became pretty interesting. So like, okay, I've, I, I went from Columbus to Chicago, to San Francisco, to uh, Vietnam, Saigon, and then now to Osaka. I see myself in Osaka as long as my son is going to be there. But I actually see a lot of attraction to my hometown, surprisingly. Like, I never would have said this five years ago, but I, I'm kind of attracted to it these days. Sorry, that was a super long answer. You came from a, a town that at, that at that time was, to, to you, boring, but... Part of my story was that I came from like the San Francisco Bay Area or at Silicon Valley at that time. Startup culture, everything was happening and I was part of it. I was working for design firms and uh, working closely with startups and <laughs> everything about that life was, was great, uh, like on the surface, but deep down inside, I felt like I had to get away from it because it was like too much. Like I had too much of the good stuff. Uh, 
And so part of the Vietnam story was that here in Ho Chi Minh, there's everything that I need and everything that's like really unique about living in a foreign place, like the culture and um, the foreign, living in a foreign location and everything's totally different. Whereas I can still get my high-end burger if I wanted to. I can still get my artisanal coffee if I wanted to here. So this is kind of like the appeal of living in Vietnam. Okay. I think I'm going to try to have us wrap this up. What's your number one go-to Vietnamese food? And you know the bún chá? Bún chá in front of my apartment, there's a very nice restaurant. Bún chá is also good. Would that be a bún chá Hanoi? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bún chá Hanoi style over there. Okay. The Ho Chi Minh style is bún thân nương. It's more mixed without the soup, something like that. For some reason, Hanoi, I found Ban Sao Mekong, which is a completely different part of the country. And I fell in love with it. <laughs> and that was like one of the things that brought me back to Vietnam. Was I wanted that food. I loved it so much. So, so you're here because of Bonseo. <laughs> uh, that was a big reason. That was a big reason. Uh, my favorite Vietnamese food um, that's most commonplace would be bún chá yào. Bún? So the noodles with fried spring rolls with fish sauce and some pickles. That's my favorite, but... I also like the kind of family-style, countryside-style meals that you can get at a place like... Um, do you know Secret Garden? No? Okay. Just like stuff like clay pot, braised pork ribs, or the lemongrass chicken, and you have some yeah, rice. So you, you, invite, you invite us next time. It wouldn't be a bad idea. It's delicious. And because, uh, what's nice about it is you get a variety. So you have like a stir-fried morning glory with, with uh, you, you got morning glory and then you, with garlic, and then you have bitter melon with egg, and you know, all these kind of countryside, I don't know, described as countryside or home-style cooking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That stuff's really good. Mm -hmm. You know, just like a mixture of meats and vegetables and stuff with some rice uh, and Let's fresh. Let's try that one next time. Yeah. And then compare to my wife's dishes and if my wife is also okay, I can invite you to my home. Yeah. Okay, sounds, sounds, sounds like a plan. Thank you both everybody for joining us today. If you'd like to follow Mark on social media and learn more about his bag specifically for bicyclists. Oh yeah, um, at Post Carry Co. P O S T Carry Co. And Dave, uh, any website or something you want to share with, with whoever might be watching this? No, 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 I don't have now. And then if you really um, put this clip on the YouTube or something and then have bad, bad feedback, you know, then you just. Uh, you know, I'll put a blur, blur. <laughs> it's, okay. It's not David. Kim. Our, our, you say Kevin Kim. B Kim. B Kim or something like that, you know. All right. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Like and subscribe and all that good stuff. Yeah. If you want to see these bands again for the next dinner, you 
Next to dinner, right? You clip. Thank you, Dave. Yeah. Mark, always a pleasure. Woo! Okay. I'm Kelvin Kim, not Dave Kim. Ha 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 ha!